but the goal is is to help people um, empower them, help them get to a place where their their goals are achieved or close to. We use a rating scale. We list goals very specifically that are measurable. Um, so if somebody's coming in with complaints of anxiety, we want to measure um, the intensity of it, the frequency of it, um, and periodically check in with those, make sure we are moving in a positive direction. The NeuroFeed Podcast. How is clinical neurofeedback transforming lives? We talk with therapists, researchers, and home users. From the intersection of neuroscience and therapy, these interviews tell stories of discovery, empowerment, and learning to thrive. Our guest today is Laura Bratt. Having worked in locked and open psychiatric units, chemical dependency hospital units, and outpatient social services, in 2003, Laura and partner Avery Bratt built the oldest current neurofeedback center in the Kansas City area, utilizing cutting-edge neurofeedback and biofeedback technologies. She's worked in diverse fields with the monks of Plum Village in France, in trauma, concussion healing, neuromeditation programs for veterans and first responders, and more. Midwestern is a community neurofeedback center where the focus is on optimizing each individual brain in the pursuit of self-empowered health, in accordance with Laura's guiding principle that the person is functioning optimally when the brain, the heart, and the gut are all aligned. Welcome, Laura, and I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about um, how, you know, what, what was your thinking when you first started trying out this neurofeedback thing? This is years ago, right? Maybe you could tell the story a little bit. Um, it, it was years ago, and um, the pre-story was actually uh, my husband went to a training and we communicated while he was at the training and he had a, a fairly substantial experience and he came home and he said we need to do this and you need to go learn and i went no sounds weird to me and we had that conversation repeated numerous times till finally i just said yes to get him off to get him off my back um i went to my first training and it was really fascinating. He came with me because he wanted a repeat. And at that training, I had a very, um, had a windshield effect, um, a very dramatic experience. And it, it took a lot of time for me to figure out exactly what had taken place. And what happened as a result of that was I realized I'd spent much of my life in a very under aroused state and that very first training I did at my first training was um, a real shift in my nervous system. And it was a pretty dramatic shift. And um, so my introduction to neurofeedback was kind of an oh, wow. So um, that, that had me hooked. <laughs> or can you explain what you mean by a windshield effect? Yes, um, I I don't see it 
often, but I do see it. Um, um, I don't know. I've seen it a number of times where within the first few trainings, um, I train somebody and they come back with a dramatic um, shift, a dramatic shift in state. Um, it's um, the example for me was I had, um, I was training at my initial training and I felt radically different and I became very irritable. And in fact, it was with my husband there, Avery, and he said, what is your deal? And I walked away. He said, don't even help me right now. And so I walked away and I thought, wow, what is going on with me? And I, it, I felt very intense. And the only experience um, that I could relate to at that time was that's how I felt when I was angry. And after several hours, I realized I'm not angry. I'm energized. But I didn't know the difference. And so with clients, I've seen people come back and it's always within the first few sessions if a windshield effect is going to happen. And I've had a mom say um, regarding her son, oh my gosh, his room is spectacular. Do that again. And so for that child, there was this enormous shift. He went home, cleaned his room. That was highly unusual. So it's a singular event. It's a very dramatic effect. Um, and it's very clear that it's a result from that training. Like I say, not not common, but it does happen. I've heard the analogy from Seaburn thinking of the windshield like like you've been driving with a dirty windshield and you never knew it. And suddenly someone sprays it and cleans the windshield and your whole world has shifted because you're suddenly there's no dirt on your you're not it's not muddy, dirty and yucky. You can it's been cleaned. Exactly. Kind of dramatic yeah. shift. But it's not always easy to interpret initially because it's it's so big and it's so dramatic that it really takes some time to really reassess, whoa, what was that? So, yeah. yeah. How, did, how did you take it and run with the neurofeedback after that experience? Or maybe it took a while before you were like willing to do this thing after such a dramatic change. No, I, um, I started with my kids. <laughs> right that's who we're supposed to practice with not not our clients until we get the hang of it right um and there were some fairly dramatic changes um with my daughter my daughter was um the one of my three kids that was really struggling with a variety of things um and so that's where i started was with her and then slowly started moving to some friends and then fairly quickly started integrating it into sessions. And you talked a little bit about how you describe neurofeedback. If somebody comes in, they've heard about this thing, they want to try it out, but they don't really understand what it is. Like, how, how do you describe it to folks who, who don't know? So, um, in the, we're, we're in the Kansas City metro area and, um, because we've been here longer than any other neurofeedback places here, um, we cater to the community at large. So people are coming in for a variety of different things, a very large variety of different 
symptoms and issues. So um, what I I do typically is explain as, as enhancing neuroregulation. The goal is always neuroregulation, helping the nervous system re-regulate itself. It has somehow become dysregulated, whether that was um, a head injury, a traumatic event, um, medical trauma, birth process, high fevers, drugs, whatever. Um, the system has become dysregulated. And that's why neurofeedback can address many different issues and many different situations. It can't cure anything, but it addresses a number of different symptoms, issues, diagnostic categories. Because when you regulate a dysregulated nervous system, you have less symptoms. So that's typically how I explain it. And does therapy play a role in the in the whole process? Um, did, did how can you talk a little bit about? Because many of the folks that use Eager, it's really about this idea that um, that it's both the, the neurofeedback process and the therapeutic alliance, like the relationship with the therapist. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. So um, that process has really evolved for me over the years, I think, because initially um, my thinking was that neurofeedback was this discrete process that done in a vacuum and it just magically does this stuff kind of thing. Um, but it's truly about the relationship. And um, I know in the early years, um, looking at the statistics, it would always say that neurofeedback had about 85% effectiveness rate. And um, Avery and I always joked that we thought ours was way higher than that. And I think um, what that's about is just what we're talking about. It's the relationship. Um, even when sometimes we have clients coming in that have a therapist, they're coming in specifically for the neurofeedback piece, but you are truly in relationship with this person. So whether I'm actively engaging in psychotherapy, um, you can't help, but because you're in close physical proximity, you're in this process of creating change. Um, and so it's, it's that relationship is integral. And so there is no way to divorce the neurofeedback process from the relationship process from the psychotherapeutic process. That's as, that's as concise as I think I can. Sure. That's great. And uh, with, uh, you know, neurofeedback, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're playing with a computer that had to have been something that you were like, ah, I, I just wonder like, what, what, what has been your journey? How like, you know, what is, what is the challenging part of that, that thing when you're, you've been doing, you know, work in the mental health field for a really long time. And all of a sudden there is this part that, okay. So for a lot of folks I, that I've heard. Um, it's just like the last thing that I want to do is have to interact with technology on a daily basis to make that as part of my, so I wonder if you could talk about some of that, some of that learning process and some of the challenges, like what, what was, what was tricky about it? Um, 
<laughs> learning neurofeedback for me was a pretty steep learning curve. Um, either One way or another, it is for everybody. It's just sometimes without pieces. <laughs> All these gray hairs attest to the fact that I'm not super, super um, techno savvy. <laughs> so even that much harder. Um, but um, it's it's incredibly rewarding. And I think that's what um, kind of balances out quite a bit. It's um, it's amazing to be in relationship with a client and utilizing neurofeedback. And then we also use some biofeedback tools now. So I've become braver. It's, it's amazingly rewarding when I can put in some effort and help people make positive, dramatic changes in their life. Um, and then when people come back years later and say, wow, um, you helped us do this. Um, without the work that you did, my child would not be there or whatever. Um, so yeah, there is a steep learning curve. Um, it's totally doable. Because as I say, I'm not super techno savvy. I can do it. Anybody can do it. Um, the biggest, most important piece is the mentoring piece. It's not the computer or the technical pieces there. It's the mentoring relationships and having support. Um, Avery often said that he would never have done neurofeedback if he was all by himself without anyone to kind of um, discuss and process and learn with. So it is something you want to do um, with with supportive colleagues, so. That's, that's great to hear because that's how we designed our introduction to neurofeedback course was to be that supportive environment because I only went through my training eight years ago and very much was by myself and had that experience of how hard it is to try to learn, um, really feeling like you're in a vacuum. Um, and we, we want that experience where people feel like they have a cohort of learners to be with and that they're not in this wilderness, steep learning curve by themselves. And kudos to you that you stuck it out and got to where you are now, which is spectacular. Yeah. I had a, a question. I think a lot of our listeners may be private practice owners or working in private practice, which I think you all um, were in at the time. Um, what if what's are some of the challenges you've run into with incorporating going from just a mental health practice to a neurofeedback and mental health practice? I know I, the challenges I'm currently in and dealt with, but I'm curious, you know, you've got more of a long longevity in this, what you've run into and how you've worked through it. Now, when you got to think about a little, it it is because um, it was not um, bringing neurofeedback into um, this uh, psychological practice. I didn't really find that difficult. To me, that was just a natural extension. Um, I was um, I was thrilled and excited to have something um, that made 
the process for me faster and smoother. Yeah. Um, psychotherapy alone, at least early on, was um, it was just clearly not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, life moves way too quickly right now to not have some all the aids that I can to help create positive change. So the most difficult thing I think for me was when we grew and um, and hired staff. Yeah, we're in, that's the boat we're at now that we're struggling with because it's so much training to pay for for staff who might not stay that long. Yeah, yeah. And so the the neurofeedback just it, it's um, it's like an organic piece of what I do, who I am. Um, the staffing, that's a, that's a whole other ball game. So for me, that was really um, the big difficulty was the, the staff issues, not, um, not neurofeedback. It just, it marries with all kinds of different psychological interventions Oh, yeah. um, because you're 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 going underneath the mind, going straight to the body, to the source. Anything that marries that mind-body connection is a beautiful, you know, somatic experiencing, um, deep brain reorienting. Um, I'm attachment-based in my foundation. All of those things work so well with neurofeedback. Even I think cognitive behavioral, if you get the neurobiology of the behavioral, you can you can still find your way through. You might then shift a bit, but you can start there. Not a huge CBT fan, admittedly. No, um, I learned it and thought it was great until I got into the practice, and then I found how hard it was with people who have trauma. But there's so much more to it. Right. Then I, that's when I did the deep dive in neurobiology and went, I have to do this thing of neurofeedback because... How else do you get that deep? That's right. And we're so glad you did. Thank you. Me too. I don't I don't do EMDR, but I do have a couple of um, staff that do EMDR and EMDR and neurofeedback marry beautifully. Yeah. So and there's um people who are doing that and training others of how to integrate the two approaches, um, like Lee Covia, and that's that's wonderful as well. I don't know why. Uh, because they do, there's so much in the neurobiology that the two were trying to do in the same ways, and um, especially with resourcing, um, the neurofeedback can be especially beneficial to help someone really be able to build the resources to do the processing. That's what she's explained to me. Well, I'm super excited about the new marriage of neurofeedback and DBR. Yes. Yes. That's extra <laughs> exciting. D- extra exciting. Did you do the, the recent training? I did. I don't did. I've heard fabulous things about deep brain reorienting, but if you if you want to say a little bit about it, I wasn't able to take the training, so I'd love to hear how you're seeing the things work together. Well, I'm just, just beginning, just beginning. In fact, that's what my one o'clock appointment is. I'm really excited. So um, I, I haven't, this will be um, my first... Um, my first session since the training. Um, so I'm very excited um, to do that. So I, I, 
in the training um, when we were doing the practicums and there were three of us in each group. So each of us had the experience of being the client, the therapist, and an observer. And all three people in my practicum group, myself included, had really dramatic effects. Mm-hmm. And all three of us are neurofeedback providers. So I've had years of neurofeedback. Um, but neurofeedback, I, I see, at least from where I sit, and I'm very fresh to this, um, seems to be the most amazing tool to help enhance some neuroregulation and then the deep brain reorienting to kind of go in and access places that are underneath um, or what would take years of neurofeedback possibly to get to. And so being able to combine the two just seems to be um, spectacular synergy. Oh, exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Could you talk about some, is there, has, were there, have there been things over the years that are surprising or counterintuitive about your approach to, about neurofeedback and how it works and, you know, the, the, the process of working with clients is what, what stuff sort of struck you as this is not what I would have expected. Weekly. Um. So one of the things, um, especially when I'm working with somebody that's kind of semi-new to, to neurofeedback, is being able to utilize the information that we're gathering as a guide. Um, because frequently, when, when I've done work with a client and we get to the place where we're, we're stopping, for now, there's always a um, an open door to return at some later date, but once the goals have been really um, achieved and stabilized and um, so um, releasing a client, but their their graphs don't always look like what I want them to look like. Um, the, the frequencies don't line up exactly or they don't look like how they look, um, they don't look how, um, how I wanted them to look, how they're supposed to look, blah, blah, blah. In fact, they might look radically different than when they started and look what I would consider to be non-productive. Yet I have this amazing list of all these goals achieved. So how it looks doesn't always line up with the life experience which I just find interesting. And so I use that as a guide towards this progressive help, um, but it's it's not the singular piece of information. So that's always surprising. Um, do, it, oh, okay. before you go to that, how do you, in your head, make that make sense? Because it can be very confusing for new people that the data is not the end-all, be-all. Um, how do you figure that, you know, what makes that make sense to you? Because we are more than just our brain waves, right? I mean, human, the, if you look at neuroanatomy alone, um, or diffusion tensor imaging, I mean, 
we are just marvels of nature. Um, it's incredible, the human body. Um, and there's so many processes, so many activities. There's so much stuff going on uh, that nothing is in, in a vacuum or separate from anything else, which actually leads me into what I was going to say anyway, was that I can start a training in and hoping for some increased neuroregulation and maybe start it at one site and plan to go to another site. But by the time I go to that next site, that already looks better regulated than it did initially from a training at a totally different site on the brain. And that's, and as I explain it to clients and staff, is that neuroregulatory capability is like throwing a little pebble in the pond. It kind of evolves outward because everything is so richly connected in the human body. Um, it's just, a, it's a wonder, an absolute total wonder. That's cool. Yeah. And the way the, the amount we're learning about the neural networks of the brain and how interconnected these crazy webs are, um, it's a wonder that we even have enough intelligence to understand it because it's, it's incredible the way, you know, the more you learn about the neural networks, you're just like how, you know, no human design can get, is this complicated? And yet it is this complicated. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful and confusing all at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's almost unpredictable because it is so complicated. Uh, Cause if we don't have a roadmap yet. So you change this little area of the brain and suddenly this area has changed and this chair has changed. And it's just, there's an amount of, of awe, I think, in neurofeedback that I never expected to have of the brain and its amazing capacity that comes along. And the more you learn, the more you know, you know that you don't know. Beautifully stated. <laughs> yeah. I have, I, there's another piece of neurofeedback that sort of surprised me. And I'm curious if you've had this experience that neurofeedback is small changes and fast changes all at the same time. So there's that wipe windshield wiper effect that, that you experienced and occasionally you get clients who do, but I also find that it's these very small shifts that feel like nothing's changing. And then suddenly it feels like everything's changed. Um, you know, you get a client to look back and they're like, I thought nothing changed. And now that I look back at where I was, I can see that so much has changed. Um, this subtle, but fast. Um, yeah, as you were talking, I was reminded of a client I worked with years ago who came in dealing with, um, a lot of loss and, and depression. And, um, she was a musician and she talked about when she came in that she hadn't played um her instrument for a year or two um that she had just kind of put it down and hadn't played with it at all and it was about session i think she was coming in for like the seventh session and i was just checking in with her how you doing did you notice anything no nope, haven't noticed anything okay that's fine and just in conversation while i was hooking her up she talks about how she was um, practicing and how her her sound had really gotten much better. And I I stopped midway and said, "Wait, what?" And and she repeated it. And I said, "Wait, 
I thought you had said that you had put your instrument down. She goes, oh, I had, but I ordered a new one and I got it. And I started practicing and I was like, wait, <laughs> and you don't think that's different? It's been two years. And she said, oh, I guess it is. Yeah. I love those stories because this is where the relationship really means so much. You can't integrate in isolation. So for your client, that conversation that seems just casual while you're applying sensors is actually part of them integrating the training and realize how much really is training. And, you know, we have a technician in our practice. I don't know if you guys have them in yours, but it's one of the things we work very hard is to have our technicians be able to, to check in about these things because then, you know, that integration doesn't happen without reflection through an other of some sort. And that's a beautiful example. Yeah. And there's so much that would be missed if we hadn't had that particular conversation. Yeah. Yeah. When we met many years ago, Laura, um, and we had a conversation and then an interview kind of like this one, one of the things that I remember about that, that conversation, uh, 2013, I think it was April of 2013. Um, but I still remember being, um, really just kind of, um, impressed and, and, and awed in a way compelled by the, by the way that you and Avery were talking about the process of neurofeedback and the way that it, it really seemed like what you were talking about was a way of empowering the people who came into your clinic. Um, to do, to make the changes themselves. And uh, we talked a little bit about sort of the, the pharmaceutical approach to, um, to mental health and how that, you know, how that's different than, the, than what you, you all had, uh, had been working in. Um, and I wonder if you could talk, I remember, I recall from the conversation as well that you, you talked about how um, people don't have to, you know, there's an idea that people have like, oh, I just have to do this forever now. And you told a story of, of folks who actually get to some stage where they're feeling um, feeling like they have changed sufficiently and that the effects are lasting and they may come back for a sort of a tune-up or something. I wonder, do you remember any of that or is this ringing? <laughs> I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit that, that, that area. So, um, and the, the process has evolved over time, but, but we, um, the, the goal is for, at least within our center is for people to come in to address whatever it is. And, and sometimes we do have, um, an increasing number of people coming in for more peak performance issues athletes, artists, things like that, that are coming in specifically to hone their skills and, and that type of thing. Um, but the bulk of people are coming in more for struggles and issues. So the goal is to help them get to a, a better place. And that's defined by them, what's better for them. Um, and then to ideally move them out and bring in new people. Um, 
we historically have had waiting lists since COVID our waiting lists are much longer. Uh, we're typically a few months out now. Um, but the goal is, is to help people, um, empower them, help them get to a place where their, their goals are achieved or close to, we use a rating scale. We list goals very specifically that are measurable. Um, so if somebody's coming in with complaints of anxiety, we want to measure um, the intensity of it, the frequency of it, um, and periodically check in with those, make sure we are moving in a positive direction. Make sure those, those numbers are changing over the course. Um, with neurofeedback, we do anticipate and have the, the history to prove that people do tend to do really well and hold the change. Um, and we, when we're discharging somebody from services, we typically say there's three situations in which if you're noticing some slide back to earlier struggles, please come back in and we'll do booster sessions. Um, but that's a major hormonal shift, um, a physiological insult or a psychological insult. And so for a lot of the kids that we see it in our practice, it might be going through puberty. For women, sometimes it's menopause, different things, or like I said, a physiological or psychological insult. Um, and so we do have clients over the years that come back in for booster sessions. Um, the one group that I've seen um, that don't tend to hold on to the change. Um, they um, is um, older adults where a dementia process has started. And, but those groups um, do seem to, I've typically been able to um, work with some of those folks. And if they're coming in about every six to eight weeks, can pretty much maintain for quite some time. Um, so it's a little bit different orientation. Um, but that's kind of the beauty is to be able to see people, work with them, have them leave, and then, you know, six years later, something happened and they come knocking at the door. So... And those booster sessions, it usually just takes a few to help them get back to wherever was their their better place, which is incredible. I always say the best problem that neurofeedback ever gave me is that I actually need to get more clients than I used to, <laughs> uh, because I work mostly with uh, had, and now my uh, client base is broadening. Mostly, I work with adopted adolescents, um, which is. A group that typically it's very hard to create substantial change. Um, so I would have these clients for a very long time, um, years and years and years, you know, middle school through college. And now I actually have to get more clients because they get better. They're doing a lot better. They don't need me. And then exactly as you say, you know, they go to high school, the challenge level increases, hormonally things are different and they come back for some time. And sometimes it's a few booster, sometimes it's another year or two and then off they go again. And it's a beautiful process because it mimics an attachment relationship. Um, 
where we're there as their supportive base when they need us. And then they go off and fly and be on their own, but we're always there um, should the, the need arise. And so I think it's the most, the only bad thing neurofeedback gave me was now I actually have to, but the same thing, we always have a wait list. Um, so it, if people are wondering, is this going to make my work harder or better? It's going to make your client outcomes better. And then you'll be able to actually move through a wait list. But once the word gets out that you do this, the word gets out and you will definitely have a wait list. Oh, Laura, would you, I was very interested. Large mentioned that you talk a bit about empowering your clients. Um, would you say a little bit about how you do that? Um, so I, I think that's, um, that's the most important piece, right? Is, is for clients to come in and because frequently when they're coming in, they're in a difficult place and struggling. Um, and a lot of that, the, the bulk of that is the neurofeedback, but the other piece is the empowerment because all of a sudden their nervous system, whether shifting abruptly or shifting slowly, is changing and they're, they're different, right? That is the goal, that's the plan, is right? Um, and so the whole point is for them to be able to feel empowered because all I think any of us really want is to be able to control ourselves. Even the little six-year-olds that we see, they get kicked out of kindergarten and preschool. They just want to be able to control themselves. That's, that's all we want. And so to be able to help prep anybody for that, to me, seems to be the goal. So neurofeedback helps better than anything else earn to achieve those changes, but then the other work is how do they keep those changes? How do they hold those changes? And how do they continue to grow those changes, right? Um, and, and people have to understand what's happening, um, at least with themselves, in order to feel that empowerment to continue with that because the stressors externally are only increasing. And so to help empower them is the neurofeedback, it's the therapeutic alliance, it's psychoeducation. Um, sometimes it's suggesting they buy some biofeedback tools so that they can have that in their dorm room or um, while they travel to airports or whatever at home. So I hope I've answered that. Oh, that's great. Can, uh, and you've been, you know, we met at the NIC in, uh, in Chicago, um, years before this whole pandemic thing. <laughs> that was CIC back then. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, I, I wonder if you could talk you know, even even through the pandemic, it seems to me that uh, people, folks who do neurofeedback with they in the eager model or using or in the community, uh, seem to value. There's there one of the things that kind of impressed me at that first uh, conference was the sense of self awareness that people had about the I'm in this community. These are other clinicians who think the same way that I do about uh, you know how how to optimize 
each person is unique. How do we help them individually, you know, to do as opposed to like, these are all, I'm trying to make, make an average out of everyone, you know, or whatever. There, there seems to be some, some real, um, differentiators from this community. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how, you know, the role that that has played in your, in your development as a, as a neurofeedback practitioner and, and the importance that you, you place on that community. Um, so the importance that I place on the eager community is basically it's, it's everything. Um, I, having worked in the field for, for quite a while, I've never experienced the collegial nature, um, of the eager community anywhere else in any other facet of my life or of my career. Um, there's, um, early on, uh, we used to joke that we had cell phone numbers of people that were really big and important in the neurofeedback world, um, because they wanted to be there to help us through, um, the, the little humps and the glitches and things like that. It's a powerfully supportive community, unlike any other, either in the, the eager community is over the top as far as supportive and collegial. Um, and the neurofeedback world is really good, but the eager community is premier. I, I don't even know how to, how to say that any better or differently. Um, and that's probably what helps us through, especially if we come in as a lone provider, um, it's that community that helps us through, um, going to a, a, a conference, a retreat, um, the, the way I used to describe it coming back from NIC or CIC meetings is, um, I always felt like I was, this is in a positive way was on fire just on fire it was so intellectually stimulating it was incredibly challenging i love the the learning piece but the support and that we as a community could go anywhere and do anything um and just working together i just i can't say enough um good about it so I actually have a, um, a client that I'm working with now that came back that I hadn't seen in several years. And um, I told her I was going to the retreat in February. And when I came back, she said, I know, I know, you're on fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. One of the things that, that has stood out to me about the eager community is it's not competitive. Um, in, in the sense of what one of us does for the field or for our clients, we do for the good of all of us. Um, and it, it's not just in words, it's in actions. You know, if you go to anyone in the Uyghur community and say, I want to research this or learn to do this, like, okay, let's do it. I'll help you. I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. Um, and especially as more trainings and growth as the field grows, it's still happening. Um, and, and I experienced that, Laura, when we got to meet at the retreat. Um, there's no one feeling like anyone's stepping on anyone's toes. It just feels like we're all 
all, you know, rising tides raise all boats. Um, and it's in words and actions, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. And not very common, I don't think. No. Um, so the eager community is pretty special. Um, and I think there's yeah. enough people that we won't lose it as we grow. And, um, Lars, I, I just need to say to you very directly how um, awe-inspiring it's been for me sitting on this side um, and to watch um, you and your interest and your on-fireness <laughs> and your excitement and I'm sure your sweat that I don't see is I know there's a lot that goes in behind the scenes that I'm I, I'm not privy to, nor would I probably want to be. But, um, anyway, so I I've watched you and I appreciate that and I want to thank you um, very very much. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean I'm grateful at least once a week to be doing this work because I get to hang out with. Uh, pretty amazing people who are who are doing something in mental health that I did not think was possible until those conversations in 2013. Like this idea that we that people could approach mental health from a from a perspective of like we're not trying to make uh, good cogs in the machine. We're trying to figure out what is what are the things that that people that someone wants and how do we how do we make it possible for them. And, it, it brings to mind for me that one of the things that that I hear occasionally, and I wonder if you could reflect on this, um, is that the the one of the challenges with doing with with a high success rate of neurofeedback work, like doing after a number of sessions when somebody gets success, is that suddenly they find themselves in a place where it's about re sort of reconfiguring their approach to their life, because. The, the funky thing is that our brains have a tendency to experience any change as a risk. So even success, feeling like, oh, I, I feel more capable and more, more confident or whatever, but, but there's a part of me that feels that as, as that's scary. So I, I wonder if that's something that comes up in, in, you know, in sessions, you know, like this, this musician who obviously was doing this stuff, but I wonder, you know, for them or for other clients, like what part of that is like, oh, this is suddenly I'm, 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 I'm uncomfortable because it's unfamiliar. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting and where, um, and I remember, I remember the client, I remember the situation, I remember the day, um, where I kind of hit that, um, this was years ago, um, and I was still fairly new um, at doing neurofeedback. And I, I kind of named that, I called it CEO syndrome. And what happened was I was working with a CEO at the time and, um, there was this tremendous, um, there was this improvement across, I don't know, it was like eight to 10 sessions or something. And we were just kind of talking about it. And he, was um, taken aback 
by these changes that he was noticing within himself, he got scared and I wasn't skilled enough at the time to be able to make sense of it and, and grab a hold of it. Um, and he was afraid that the training was going to take away his edge in business. And, um, and, and he, he didn't come back and it was, and I remember thinking, wow, what just happened? And it took me a while to figure that out. But I think that you're exactly right. That's, um, the nervous system can and frequently does interpret change as risky, wrong. We need to pull back towards the, um, the medium kind of thing, um, regression to the mean kind of thing. And, um, so that's, um, there's two pieces to that. One is just the psychoeducation part. It's just helping people understand what, what's part of this process, how we change, how we try on the change, how it feels. Um, but there's that, that, that supportive piece that the goal is enhanced regulation where we are able to self-modulate ourselves. That's like the six-year-old as well as the 96-year-old is we want to be able to, to, to respond to a situation, not overreact. We want to be able to move through our lives as optimally as possible, whether that's contributing in a meeting, to taking a test, to um, dealing with they're out of chicken at the grocery store or whatever. Um, so it's, it's important to recognize that this is a, we are just training brainwaves, but that is essentially helping people, um, live better lives, right? Functioning in a way that's, um, more of closer to what would be optimal for them. Um, so. I, that's a beautiful way of talking about just the, the work um, and how it folds into people's lives. And I think you highlighted the importance of the relationship with the person in the room with you. Um, I often say that regulation doesn't take away abilities. It just gives you choice. If you want to lose your, you know, F this, F that on somebody, you still have that, that ability. But it will be a choice when it's going to help you and when it's not. It's a choice to do it. You're still going to be able to be cutthroat in business if that's what you think is the right thing to do, but you'll be able to reflect on your morals and take pause and do it by choice rather than by impulse. And that's the gift of regulation. What she said. <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Um, been really great to to connect and and to have this conversation is there anything that you would like to let people know um about about you know coming to your clinic if there are folks you know locally that that uh they want to reach out and get on the waiting list <laughs> uh is there any are there any other things or or maybe words of advice you have for for clinicians just starting out uh, what, what, what would you have liked to hear as a beginning or a feedback clinician?
um, just keep going no matter what, just keep going. The, um, you know, I, I still train myself because I try things that maybe I haven't tried before, but, um, you know, the one thing, um, I, I don't think there is anybody, um, that would not benefit from neurofeedback. I, I don't think there's a soul on the planet that wouldn't benefit from neurofeedback and some that would benefit way more so than others. Um, the, um, the times that we're living in, um, all of us need enhanced resilience because things are, things are faster, things are bigger, they're more intense and the better regulated we are and the more resilient we are, the better world we will all have. And there isn't anything that I would rather be doing in my life than exactly what I'm doing right now. And I know how gifted, how blessed, how lucky I am um, to absolutely adore what I get up and do every day. Um, and I am so unboundedly grateful for that. So maybe that more so than anything. So or do you want to do you want to plug your website? I know you said it needs updating, but it's still, I think, how people find you. It is. There's a lot of really good information on there. It's just um, a little too wordy and not quite jazzy enough. So in pro in progress, in process, um, it's MidwestNeuroFeedback.com. So um, all the information's good. It's just going to be better soon. Hopefully about a another month um, anyway and there are um just two other things i wanted to say i do participate in the homecoming for vets program um and which is online um homecomingforvets.org and then i started here locally a first responder program where i individually work with first responders in the community and just offer 15 to 20 sessions of free neurofeedback. Wow. So just want to say that. So I've been doing that since um, COVID and I've worked with um, a lot of first responders, primarily firefighters and police officers, but open to whoever. Um, so, yeah. right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, you guys. Thank you so much.